to episode 13 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 12th of June, 2017. I'm Joe, and with me are Jesse. Top of the morning. Ike. Did he really just... Hello. <laughs> and Faelim. Bottom of the evening, dear. <laughs> uh, episode 13. Ooh, unlucky for some, hopefully things won't go wrong for us, but uh, we'll soon see. Let's do a bit of news then. And KDE Plasma... 5.10 is out, and you are very excited by this, no doubt, Phelim. I'm using it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, there's some nice stuff in there. Uh, there's a nice page up on the KDE site. To be honest, it just keeps on working, keeps on getting better. There's a few nice touches that I guess I've noticed. I, to be honest, would have struggled to find a lot of this stuff because I just upgrade in place all the time. But... Um, for instance, the uh, folder layout is the new desktop. Uh, they got rid of that a while ago when they went to four. So everything was... I, I've had a clean desktop since then. And to be honest, I'm not going to switch back to cluttered icon mess. So people want to do that, they can. You should see my desktop. It is quite literally a cluttered icon mess. It gets to the point where, um, thankfully, in XFCE, you can make them smaller because I have to just keep doing that when it gets full. What's the minimum size? Is it one or two pixels? <laughs> I haven't quite found that out yet. But um, as you say, from my experience of it, it is just incremental improvements, isn't it? It's They're not trying to change things dramatically and reinvent the wheel. They're yeah. just trying to refine it and make it better and better. And it is. It's getting more and more attractive to me. I think it's still a, a little bit overkill for what I need because I need. I don't like all the desktop widgets and all that kind of stuff. You don't have to use them, you know that. I know you don't have to, but why? Why have them if I don't need them? When I could use something like LXQt or or even XFCE, you know? Because you know full well that LXQt is is doesn't have enough bells and whistles. Whereas this, I know, has maybe too many and things are a little bit deep in the weeds when it comes to settings. That's the, what I generally find. But at least you have them there if you need them and you can, you can, you know, uh, tame them if you need. Because I listened to another podcast that uh, your voice is on, Joe, and there was yeah. definitely some signs that you were thinking about ditching your beloved XFCE. Well, thinking about it, because XFCE is potentially not long for the world, is it? Uh, or at least not going to be relevant for much longer. If they don't get their finger out and sort out at least GTK3, then it's going to be left behind. And although they're making positive noises and, and developing towards uh, 4.14, if they don't actually do that, if they take too long over it, then I'm going to have to find something else, aren't I? Because I need something that will run modern applications and I'm going to have to switch to Wayland at some stage. And if they don't support all that, new stuff then i'm going to be a bit snookered trying to use xfce so that's why i'm i'm not saying i'm going to actually make the move just yet but i'm I'm starting to look around at other options well that was one of the things that they were working on for this was was a lot of the wayland support and they did it for the libs as well and to be honest i even though i use it all the time i, I don't dig around in it all the time because i'm pretty happy with my setup um and one thing I do love about it, though, is you go into the configs and control panel, you know, people say, oh, there's too many settings. Well, I don't know where they are half the time either, but there's a search box up the top right, and you type in wall and then wallpaper, and it highlights all the icons that you need to click to get to the relevant sections. I mean, there's some really nice stuff they've done to allow you to be both able to tweak it as much as you want, but also you don't have to care about it if you don't need it. Like, 
But should you have to resort to searching for settings? Shouldn't it well, be? Well, there's a lot of settings. There should be a lot of settings. It's an advanced piece thing. Otherwise, you're telling people how they should use it. And that's why I don't like GNOME. They say, you can use it this way. Oh, otherwise, you have to go and, what, write a plugin in JavaScript. Oh, that's so convenient, as opposed to a checkbox that they could have supplied. You're asking to go outside of the actual mainline developers then to maintain the desktop settings the way you like them. I have to admit, I did come across a bit of a... Uh, I wasn't going to actually. It was um, Ubuntu with Budgie and the... Um, uh, what is it? The network. I couldn't add, connect to an ad hoc network, but I've done it on other older versions of Network Manager. I don't know if I was either being an idiot, but basically uh, Ubuntu has to come off the machine. But we're missing the point, and surely the point is, why aren't you switching to GNOME? And why aren't you switching to Budgie, Joe? Yeah, Joe. Budgie's shit. Sorry, Ike, but I know you're planning to rewrite it and stuff, but at the moment... It's it's just not very good. Like oh, shit. <clears throat> here comes a three man podcast. <laughs> yeah, goodbye. Fuck off. Right. <laughs> but when you say buddy, now are you talking about buddy on solos? Because he's talking about buddy on Ubuntu, which in my eyes is nothing to do with me. Yeah. No. Shit. Well, I I'm I have only ever checked that out briefly, but I've checked out buddy on Solus. Oh, now, when you say shit, all right. You that's, mean what I mean is compared to the Mate version. Uh, things just seem to work more like they should in Mate. Like the menu searching and stuff. All right, well, I'll give you that. Buddy menu searching is a little... um, is um Shit. <laughs> no, we are avoiding this word now, Joe. <laughs> um, ooh, philosophically limited. Okay, well, the thing is, the rest of it's all right, but the menu's like quite a big part of yeah your I mean, budget menu is kind of older and then brisk menu came after so there are lessons from brisk to be learned for budgie exactly and and yeah. i'm very much looking forward to um is it 11 is going to be the new budget yeah buddy 11 is basically going to take all of the lessons put them together and stop hugging onto a stack that's changing yeah uh, it's gonna it's gonna end up using cute bits and it's gonna end up stealing some kde bits like uh, some of the libraries like k window system and whatever just so I don't have to go and write everything ever, right? I mean, the the idea, the uh, the idea uh, with the KDE frameworks, which is at five point three five point zero apparently, uh, is so that you can reuse those bits. Now that's a novel idea, really, because crazy talk. I a know, library right? That can be used as a library. I know <laughs> because the stuff that I've been reusing from the GNOME system. It's not so much reusable, <laughs> really. Um, it's reusable as some legacy side effect and slowly becomes less and less and less reusable to the point where you'll go on GNOME Control Center and you'll see stuff there. It's like, yeah, this clearly isn't applicable. Like, <laughs> GNOME shell searches, budgie, hmm. So that that's something modular they're going to be able to use. So, yeah, budgie 11 be cute and kicking out the badness and in with the hotness. Okay, I knew I shouldn't have used the B word. However... <laughs> <laughs> back back onto it. What, back uh, onto your topic. <laughs> what what uh, display manager do you use there, Ike? Uh Light DM currently. Ah, so the next news topic is that Ubuntu are moving away from Light DM and to GDM. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like they had a choice in it. I mean, they, they dressed it up like they had a choice in it. Fair enough, you know. Uh, Robert's been maintaining, that's Robert Ansel, sorry, has been maintaining Light DM for a long time. It, it's really nice, etc. Gnome Shell decides to do some things differently, as in it 
outright requires DDM. Now, I know there's people in the comments say, well, you know, I've managed to get it working with LightDM. You managed to get it partially working with LightDM, and it still requires the G-Object introspection bindings for GDM to actually even function at its most basic level, because what a lot of people don't actually realize is that GDM does not have its own greeter. You're running a fully-fledged GNOME Shell session as your login screen, including another instance of a GNOME settings daemon, which is now like 13 or 14 different binaries wow. to provide the session support for all of that. And it's modder, so again, it's GL-based, and this is all running all the time as your login screen. So in terms of efficiency, GDM don't got it, <laughs> like even remotely. You're saying it's not efficient if you're not running uh, a GNOME desktop. If you're running GNOME shell through and through, it's Yeah, not you're still running two GNOME shells. Oh, I see. Yeah, that, that's the problem, right? So unless you're running GNOME, you know, don't don't use GDM. Like, while it can true, use surely. other stuff, it, it is. It starts up gnome shell dash dash mode equals GDM. <laughs> it's literally what it's doing. All right, it's not running as many things at the same time, and it is in a more limited mode, but it is running gnome shell to do that. For a password box. And it's got an activities bar. Yeah, and, and session switcher and stuff. Yeah, you know, it's got, it's got more buttons than that, Phelan. Come on. <laughs> Has it got a clock? Yes. Oh, well, no, that's fine. That's fine. Carry right? on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, if he wasn't using GNOME, you just should not use GDM because it's adding a lot of weight to your system session. But it was pretty obvious that they were going to do this because they're looking to simplify and streamline the desktop development, aren't they? They want to do as little as possible. So if GDM is default in GNOME Shell, then why are you going to piss around with your own light DM? Well, a lot of people use LightDM, actually, because if you look at the things that you have out there, you have SDDM, which is basically sexy over in cute land, and it's <laughs> cute land. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, That's terrible. I know, right? Uh, KDE, they used to have KDM, but they decided like it needed to be nuked from orbit, which they basically did. They're on SDDM. If you was on GNOME, you had GDM, because they decided a long time ago, why, why do you want theming? What's this about? Got rid of all of that. And then everybody else, basically everybody else, has been using LightDM. Now it's effectively entering maintenance mode. And I shared some of this on Google+. And I was like, okay, within like a week or two weeks, this is going to get forked into oblivion because people are going to get frightened and they want to keep LightDM because they don't want to run a full GNOME shell thing just for a display manager. Like they're going to run out of alternatives. Can you imagine having to run Mate and GDM with that full GNOME shell thing? You ain't getting lightweight. So I proposed, why not remove the contributor license agreement and move it over to GitHub? Because it's entering the twilight years. It's not really going to get any attention now, right? Nobody's going to invest the effort in that if they've switched everything over to GDM. Um, they won't remove the CLA, and they'll leave it on Launchpad, where it, they can continue to accept contributions. Well, I won't be one of those people, because it has a CLA. <laughs> so LightDM is written by Ubuntu? I don't know the original story of it, but yeah, it's basically canonical project. Canonical, now. yeah. Yeah. Have you looked at SDM then? I have. Um, basically, it's got a QML front end, which is like cute quick. Yeah. So you can, like, it's trivial to spin up a new face for it. So... Yeah, I'd be using it for budgie. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's what I was there. You got where I was going. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty. 
And what about for the Mate version of uh, Solus? Uh, I wasn't prepared for the question. Well, we can, we can, <laughs> we can. I'm calling a timeout on uh, Solus chat in the news. Oh, that's racism. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Light DM. This is the problem everybody's having, isn't it? Like, what are they going to use if Light DM just enters Twilight years? And I'm kind of hopeful that a good resolution comes to it because. Not everyone wants to be up on Launchpad and sign in CLAs and using Bazaar and, you know, it's a blocker for a lot of communities and projects that aren't Ubuntu. If only you were coming to Floss Talk Live, you could try Hypnotize Poby and Wimpy. Yes, I will dance. If only you knew what it was called, Phelan. It's not Floss Talk Live. There's no Libra in there. It's <laughs> Floss Talk Live. Oh, no. oh I'm not yeah, going there. No dentists going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's move on and talk about the death of the x86 Windows PC, which is Qualcomm producing Snapdragon 835 PCs, motherboards, basically, which are going to run Windows, and they're going to have gigabit LTE built into them. It's the next generation of laptops, which are going to run 32-bit Windows apps on like through a compatibility layer on ARM. It's Windows is shit enough as it is and terribly slow on a, like i5. What's it going to be like on this? It's going to be unusable. I like some of the features that come with it because it, it's sort of half mobile phone. So you're talking about having um, LTE and it means that you can you know update your emails and do things on the move if you've got an appropriate service plan. And also even when it sleeps, it can do updates and, and you know syncing and things like this. So it's got some nice features that sort of hark to the benefits of having phones. But I agree with your point about Windows. And secondly, the problem is is that this is going to require Windows or Linux or what have you, which is specifically for ARM. And so the normal person going to shop is now going to have to say, what type of processor does this have? I think that's a step beyond what people like. People just know it's either a Windows PC or a Mac. And, you know, everything runs on everything. Um, And the idea that you're then going to say, this is a Windows PC, but... You can't have normal Windows on it. You have to have this specific one and da-da-da. I think it's going to muddy it in a way that people will find difficult. And because it's not x86, Microsoft don't have to allow another OS to be installed on it so they can lock it down so you won't be able to install a different OS if you chose to. And that's why it's in the news, because why the hell are we talking about uh, Microsoft and Windows? We're talking about this because you believe, Phelim, and I am inclined to agree that potentially these machines are going to be sold with Windows and you won't be able to replace it with Linux. Yeah, I'd say so. Which is not very good if this is what laptops end up being. But I I just can't see them being successful enough because even like a shitty Celeron is going to be much, much better than this Snapdragon. Even a high-end Snapdragon, unless you've got an operating system specifically designed for ARM, like Android, which is buggy and shit enough anyway, it's it's just going to be a terrible experience. And I suppose at that point, people could, in theory, maybe think about replacing the operating system, not that anyone in the real world actually does that. But at that point, they're basically not going to be able to, probably. Yeah. I don't know. I can't see it taking off. I can't see it being a huge problem because x86 is not going to die. People keep talking about the, and I keep talking about the, the waning of the sales, and you know how it's it's x86 machines are just not doing that well compared to ARM machines. But there's always going to be a niche for it. You're always going to need powerful machines to do some stuff. And maybe 
the average person in the street is going to get along with a, a giant smartphone and maybe an iPad. But you're going to have professional people in offices using desktop machines and designers using big, powerful um, desktops and, and all-in-ones and stuff with beefy graphics cards. And this this idea of ARM-based Windows machines, famous last words, but it's it's going to be a very small niche that won't do well. It's It's going to be a repeat of, was it Windows CE? The last time they tried this, yeah. But then there's there's you know the benefits I was talking about earlier, but also just think of the battery life, and and the fact there's no fans involved, the fact that it's much cooler. You know, there's there are some real benefits that laptops suffer from. That as as someone who you know doesn't take laptops outside the house and leaves them on the desk, in my view, you maybe don't notice the fact that they are heavy and bulky and hot and noisy. You know, there are things that laptops do which aren't desirable, and while of course, there will always be a need for high-end professional PCs, of course. If you're just looking at the the person who opens up the laptop and checks Facebook in front of the TV or, you know, chucks the laptop in the bag and gets on the train or what have you, you're going to want battery life. You're going to want those sorts of things. And, you know, my Chromebook lives next to my um, sofa and I can just open it up and it's, it's booted in like 20 seconds versus if I want to actually do something and, you know, sit down with a mouse on my view, I'll turn my PC on. So there's... And I, I don't know what the ratio of market share is from high-end professional versus um, you know consumer, but that that's they're the two areas they're going to be targeting. Mm, it sounds like everything you've said there can be done with a tablet, basically an iPad, which is already being done with iPads. So uh, that idea of long battery life and stuff, unless people can be tricked into buying them, it, they, they'd have to be cheap is the bottom line. If they're very low-end price-wise laptops – then people might be tricked into thinking it can do a bit more than a tablet. But- so if it costs an arm and a leg. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Someone had to say it was just hanging in the air. Someone quite literally did not have to, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> this is going to be a three-person show because we're going to sack you, Ike. Yeah. Fans <laughs> <laughs> like that, we will. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see um, what what comes of this. Uh, I, I can't see it being massive because they'd have to trick people. Look at what has happened with Windows on ARM devices. CE was a disaster. Windows Mobile was a disaster. The, the surfaces and stuff have been relatively successful because they are quite powerful x86 machines Yeah, in a nice form factor. Yeah, your, your argument about tablets and things is a good one. Yeah. Maybe nowadays everyone's banking on the power of the cloud and not the power of the client. Yeah, but you still need to be able to run JavaScript and stuff, don't you? And, uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe you're right about the cloud, but I think you do need to have a reasonable um, client machine to be able to actually run all that JavaScript and all the, the web GL and all that stuff. Mm. So uh, we'll see. Um, all right, well, a quick shout out to GPG who are trying to do a fund well are doing a fundraiser and instead of just a donation drive they're looking for the patreon style 10 bucks a month or five bucks a month or whatever because they want to employ some more developers and have gpg develop properly yeah so i think it was a couple of years ago there was a, a big uh, fundraiser push to get some money for the guy who was working on gpg and some big companies put a load of money in and they've they've had five developers working on it since then and they've not only kept it up to date but they've also um improved some things like it's uh, integrated with one of the mail clients that 
uh, whatever it was from Th- Firefox. Um, Thunderbird. Okay, Thunderbird. And um, there, there's a couple of other advanced features they've added. And you're right. I mean, if there's only one if there's only one pot of money, that pot is going to run out eventually. And they don't want to be beholden to um, big corporations or whatever. They'd rather the general public owned it in air quotes, if you will. You know, contributed to it. So yeah, looking for this. Um, uh, sort of five ten dollars a month just to from a few thousand people so they can afford to have i think it's three developers if they get two thousand um that's not right is the numbers no, it's twenty thousand whatever the numbers are they're looking at getting three uh developers and then if they hit sort of a, a greater funder tar- funding target get a couple more as well fifteen thousand euros it is a month for three developers so five grand a month which isn't massive amount is it i don't know i suppose it's not to be sniffed at, but the kind of developers they're going to need for this are proper high-end people who really know what they're talking about. So that seems a bit low to me. Well, if you uh, think GPT is a good thing, I think you know most people listening to this do and can afford a bit, then uh, head over to their fundraiser. Yeah, yeah. So also, Canonical are looking to pay people £60 for one hour of their time to come and do some user testing but there are two caveats here. One, you have to be in London or able to get to London, and you also have to be a developer. You have to either write package or maybe if you do documentation, you have to be, you can't just be any Tom, Dick, and Harry. So there was me thinking, yeah, 60 quid for nothing. Oh, no, sadly not. I just do podcasts about it. Damn. But yeah, if you're in London and a developer and want to help them out, especially if you are not involved in Ubuntu, so if you're developing for another os maybe not even linux then they probably want to hear from you so we'll link to their google form i think it is where you can submit your uh details and you have to give them your email address i think that's the only uh information they need and you could go and help them out and get a bit of beer money for it so in the doc it says ike's announcement what's all this about ike not um Another desktop for Solus, surely. Oh, no, God, no. Jesus. I think we have enough now, to be honest with you. Um, but this order does relate to Solus. I guess that's a nice lead-in. Today, I gave my notice, and I will be leaving my job at Intel to work on Solus full-time. What? This is a complete shock to me, Ike. I did not see this coming in any way, shape, or form. I know, right? <laughs> it's like it's like you just heard about it. And I'd yeah. like a million free beers for not making the comment, don't quit the day job when you were sliding off Budgie earlier. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's nice. Um, yeah, I mean, that's basically what it comes down to. And I should emphasize this, not like a negative thing or anything, like... This is one of those follow your heart type things. It's something I want to do. Like, to be clear about it, you know, like I've enjoyed my job in there four years now at Intel. And I've, I've had a great time doing that. And I've met some real fantastic people and got to work with them and absolutely loved it. But I'm at that point in my life where I want to, I want to chase up my dreams and fully, fully commit to Solus and give it the time and attention it deserves. So if they gave you a whole lot of rack servers as you were going out the door, you wouldn't be, you know, you wouldn't say no. <laughs> I, I I kind of would, um, because I don't want to drive them back and forth. Um, <laughs> and I mean, a part of it is the whole good for the soul thing. So part of me has been craving for a while a slightly simpler life. So I effectively have two jobs. I have my main job and I'm, I have souls in the evening and weekends. Leaves very little free time around that. 
And I also want to get back to doing some more manual things, which is why I bought my van a while back. Getting all cleaned up and sorted out. So just one of those things I miss, just coming in, kicking the boots off and, you know, feeling like you've done a good day's work. Not that I don't feel it, but the physical relief of it. Uh, it's those aspects I miss. So in some ways, I'm simplifying my life, but in others, I'm also making my primary job to, to be working on solos. So four weeks from now, that will take effect. It's, it's fantastic to hear. And I assume that you've got uh, a revenue stream coming in that means that it can support you in, in the long term. I mean, you don't have to go through all the various nuances and the details, what have you, but you know, what's your sort of uh, where, where's most of the funding coming from and is it something that you think is long-term sustainable at the moment it's actually coming from the solace community it's coming from people who hire us supporting solace on patreon and paypal so i've got them to thank for that um i won't lie you know i'm taking a significant pay cut to do it but i think it's something that solace deserves the users deserve and to be honest i feel like i deserve it a life where i can do something that i'm passionate about and put all of my energies into it, you know? And does this mean that development's going to accelerate on Solus now then? Yeah. Um, exponential would not cover it because right. this is going to be my full-time energies focused on Solus. Are we finally going to see uh, Budgie 11 then? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Budgie 11 wasn't supposed to start, start until Q2. There was being confusion about that, but it wasn't supposed to start until Q2. And we're still in Q2. So it's not like it's not on Just, schedule. Just, come on, we're in June. Like, Yeah, it's not like it's not on schedule. You know, I said it would start <laughs> in Q2. There's been some misunderstanding that somehow I would have it all finished, done, and delivered in Q2. That was never what I said. But I'm going to have all of my time now to to be committing to Solus and working through our bugs and making sure that everyone is getting the right experience they need. Yeah, it's basically a full-time job, and that's enabled by Solus people also enables me to be slightly <laughs> slightly vibrating <laughs> tumble you not leave that to later <laughs> I normally edit that out but I'm leaving that in that's a big, <laughs> big motorbike going past and that's what sure. I say every time it enables sure. me to do more things with Solas and take it in the direction that I feel it needs obviously it's the same direction but it's amplifying what it's able to do and what it's able to deliver on does this mean that you'll have you'll need fewer people helping you, or you won't be able to put money into uh, you know people squashing particular bugs and things, bug bounties and that? We haven't really done bug bounties. We've basically done one. Um, any help coming from the community, I'm not going to turn good help down. You know, that that's not a thing at all. It if anything, this actually helps the community even more because I'll be around more if they're trying to push patches through and changes and get discussion on. Well, I'm going to be there all through the day each day. You know, they're going to have that channel with me as opposed to waiting for me to finish work and then speak to them afterwards and then catch up with everything. It's, it's kind of hard to do that. So being on a full time, you know, like these are my daily commitments. These are what I have to do. And part of that involves engaging with the community and making sure that their changes actually get into Solus in a timely fashion. And it means you're going to be on Telegram during the day as well now then because you don't have that VPN issue. <laughs> yeah, I'll actually be able to Telegram during the day. Not that I will that much. I mean, I'll be on IRC during the day um, because it, it's still the whole thing of, you know, you're at work, right? Yeah, you are going to take it seriously. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to sit there and distract myself while I'm doing that because I'll, I'll sit there and chat away for hours as you well YouTube know. battles of that. <laughs> I yeah. I say, you know, the way they use that chart when Netflix started as to how the traffic and the bandwidth doubled and tripled, etc. It'll be now when Ike started working from home full time. <laughs> <Yeah>. YouTube <laughs> will just go to the end. 
Well, I mean, I work from home anyway, you know. Um, for me, there are certain things I'm going to be cutting out in my life, so I'll actually get getting rid of Netflix and Spotify. Spotify? <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I don't even know what it's called, but I'm getting rid of it. I've been paying for it. I'm getting rid of all those things, and I'm actually going to go back to watching television, strangely enough. What's that? I know, right? <laughs> so I've, I've got my old monitor there um, because part of this involves having less money in my life. That's just a fact about it. You know, you've got to take these risks if you want to see something grow. So I'll be going back to living a little bit more frugally, having my monitor there hooked up to my aircon box and, you know, watching television that way like a normal person. And, yeah, having a proper split in my life between Solus and me, which is where I go bugger about in my van for a bit. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a big change, and for for Solus users, it's a massive change because you're taking what's basically a guy who's trying to do as much as he can in his spare time. You know, this is this is my passion to someone who's doing it all the time as a as a proper job. And if you're going from a couple of hours a day to basically nine to five <laughs> each day, you know, that's a massive growth, and that's all of my energy. That's not energy that's left. So, and I don't mean to brag. I mean, I've still managed to do all right, even with that split effectively between two jobs. So I'm quite hopeful to see what I can do with all of my energy spent on that. I'm a little bit scared, actually, <laughs> if I'm honest. Well, I should be plugging our Patreon, but instead, I suppose I'll plug the Solus one, which is um, patreon.com slash Solus. So go there and help Ikey out. And maybe he can make Solus not shit. Solus is not shit. You like Solus, man. <laughs> but yeah, those long-standing bugs and things that requires, you know, multiple efforts. That's stuff I can really, really dig into now, you know, because it's all my energy. It all comes down to a balance of energy and time. Well, good luck, sir, in all seriousness. I really hope it works out for you and you don't Thank have you. to go and work for the man again. <laughs> yep. No, I mean, it. I know like people can say the man. I, I want to be really clear about this. This was... A deeply personal choice. It was not a professional choice. You know, I really respect the people I've worked with over the last few years. And part of why I'm the, the developer and engineer I am now is because of that experience over the last four years, you know. And it, it's kind of hard for me. Like, it was a little bit upsetting to me today, you know, when I sent the emails off and I had the phone calls and I told everyone about it, and, you know, like, and I wanted everyone to know that. it's I've absolutely loved the time there. It's just something I need to do personally for me. You know, it was never, never anything about the job because I love the job, but I love solace. <laughs> you know, and you got to follow your heart sometimes, even if it means changing your life a little bit. I, for me to be true to me, this is what I need to do. Yep, fair enough. Right, so this episode of Late Night Linux is sponsored by Entraware, entraware.com. They are a dedicated Linux computer seller from the UK, and they sell computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate 1604 and 1704. And it's not just laptops. They've got some desktops and servers as well. They've got all your computing needs covered. Whether it is a relatively low-end laptop, just for a bit of web browsing and email, all the way through to high-end machines with dedicated graphics that are ideal for video editing, graphic design, 3D art, or machine learning. And if you need even more power, then they've got um, some desktops, which can be configured and They'll even build bespoke machines for you if you are so inclined. And they ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. So do check them out if you're interested in 
buying a Linux machine from a company who actually cares about Linux, then entraware.com. And if you do buy one, do mention us at checkout so they know that we sent you. So go to entraware.com for all your Linux computing needs. On to a bit of admin then. And uh, first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. And uh, please don't move your Patreon pledges over to Solus. Please do both. Um, <laughs> we're not going to mention any names as usual, but you know who you are. Thank you very much. It, it really is appreciated. Um, if you want to join those people, then go to latenightlinux.com slash support. There's Patreon and PayPal and even Bitcoin and stuff. Not that I check that very often. And uh, latenightlinux.com slash contact for all the ways you can get in touch with us, including the Telegram, which is latenightlinux.com slash Telegram. A um, couple of things to mention. Fostalk Live, I mentioned it last time. Um, go to fostalk.com and you'll find all the information for that if you're in London. All the tickets were gone, but then a couple of people returned them. Then someone got one. So I haven't checked, but I think there might be one ticket left. But you can kind of come anyway. But uh, worst case scenario, you'll get stuck in a pub with a load of nerds, which uh, could be worse and not actually see the shows. But to be honest, you probably will do. Uh, and we need questions for the mashup show, which is me and Stuart Langridge and Dave Mega Slippers from Geek News Radio. It's not funny. It's not it funny. It is funny. <laughs> and Marius Quarbeck as well uh, from Ubuntu Fun. And uh, I've, uh, I was going to say Ubi Ports, but no, he's, he's not with them anymore. But he does magic device tool and stuff. He's a cool guy from Germany anyway. He's coming over. And yeah, we need questions for that. So if you go to fostalk.com slash questions, We've got quite a few already, including some fucking ridiculous ones. But uh, if you want to ask us questions for that show, then uh, yeah, go there. And oh yeah, I should say when Foss Talk is. Quickly, guys, do FossTalk.com. It's like in a fortnight. Yeah, it's shit. It's pretty soon, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a week this weekend. Oh shit. Yeah, the 24th <laughs> of June. Yeah, it's not even two full weeks. Shit. So we get, yeah, the next show is going to be our Foss Talk live show. We should really um, think about what we're going to talk about. Hmm. Linux. Yeah, write, write that down. Uh, yeah, anyway, that we probably shouldn't do this on air. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, <laughs> the uh, 24th of June, if you're in London, come see us. Minus Ike, unfortunately, who, uh, for obvious reasons, can't afford it now. <laughs> <laughs> I've embraced my impoverished roots. <laughs> yep. Uh, we should also mention OGCamp. I can't believe it's that soon to uh, foster. Anyway, yeah, so OGCamp is going to be on Saturday the 19th, and Sunday the 20th of August in Canterbury. And so do come to that. We are going to be there. Um, I'm going to be there at least. Jesse, you're coming. And, I, I have my ticket, yep. Yeah, and Phelan, you're coming as well. I'm in Spain. <laughs> oh, no, you're not coming. I can't, yeah. I'm in Spain. Oh, right. That sucks. Oh, well, at least two of us are going to be there. And uh, if a million people uh, support Ike on um well sports solace on patreon then maybe he can afford to fly over but uh, <laughs> yeah that that's a good use of funds it's it's a cool it used to be called uh an uh, free culture on conference but now they've expanded it to uh what is it something like uh free software free and open culture i don't know they've complicated it anyway it's a load of nerds get together and it's unconference so people can talk about whatever they want or they can submit talks and then people vote on them and you get quite a good mixture of people you get some like real creative commons people and some well a lot of linux people let's face it and it's a great event it's basically a three-day piss up 
um, with uh, an excuse of getting together and having these talks during the day. So uh, yeah, do check that out, ogcramp.org. Anyway, that should be good fun. Yeah, and just um, rounding off the admin feedback. Thanks for all your emails and what have you, and, and you know comments, things that come in. Uh, we have one from Craig Romes, if I've said that right. Uh, you have to spend a little bit more time in word checking your titles because the title of the email is "An unusual listener says hell." And I thought it was quite an angry title, and I realised he probably <laughs> meant an unusual listener says hello. So thank you very much, hello. <laughs> oh, and YouTube, yeah, we're on YouTube now. We're with it with the cool Python uh, visualizer. I think it's called Python Audio Visualizer or some combination of those words. And you basically give it an audio file, a background, and then it sort of looks like graphic EQ style from old school stereos from the eighties. And I don't really see the appeal, but there are some people on this show who listen to podcasts on YouTube, Ike. <laughs> YouTube is God. Bloody millennials. Yeah. So I thought we should do that. And the plan is to put that YouTube video up kind of the next day. Because normally I start really late editing this and publish it in the middle of the night and then get a couple of hours sleep and go to work. So it'll probably be the following evening when I'm terribly tired trying to do that. So, um, yeah, if you're into YouTube, we don't have a short link. You need about 50 million subscribers to get a nice short link for that. So I probably should do latenightlinux.com slash YouTube. I meant to do that. I don't think I've done that. Perhaps I will have done that. Who knows? That's the fun of uh, trying it. But all the cool kids are subscribed to the channel anyway. Yeah. Do, so, yeah, do subscribe to it if that is your thing. No, I haven't done it yet. Nah, man, that's another thing I have to do before I release this. So uh, hopefully when I'm editing it, it will remind me. Uh, yeah, so do check us out on YouTube if you want to do that. Uh, right, so up next, we have an interview, which I will introduce now. We're joined once again by Richard Brown, who is the chairman of OpenSUSE. So welcome back, Richard. Thank you very much. Now, you messaged Ike, I think, earlier in the week, saying that you had exciting things from OpenSUSEcon, which has recently happened including Cubic, which is your new OS. So shall we start there? Is it a new OS? Is that right? Yes, it's uh, a new OS. Um, it, it's a variant of Tumbleweed would actually be a better way of describing it. Um, we're, we're investigating this whole transactional operating system idea. You know, uh, It started at SUSE originally as an internal project, where we're mostly looking at what makes a perfect platform for containerized stuff. You know, container workloads and Docker, and Kubernetes, and all that stuff. Um, and then, obviously, because we're SUSE, then doing all of that in the open as part of OpenSUSE, and it's kind of now evolving into Cubic, where anybody can pick it up, do with it, run with it, do whatever they want. It sounds quite a lot like Atomic from Fedora. Yeah, there's, there's definitely similarities there in, in terms of use cases. Um, I'd say that the, the biggest difference that distinguishes Atomic from uh, from Cubic is, you know, in the case of, of Atomic, you know, they're, in up from my perspective, reinventing many different wheels. So, you know, OS tree RPM, you know, re throwing out all the packaging, it's a completely separate operating system with completely separate packages for a completely separate use case. And none of that's true in, in Cubic. We've basically taken sort of the lessons learned from what we're already doing with BTIFS and RPM and zipper and snapshotting. And just implementing all of that differently, so you're running the same packages from Tumbleweed 
in basically an OpenSUSE operating system. It's just all done slightly differently and tuned slightly differently for this different use case. So you end up with fully transactional updates for whatever package you want. So would it be safe to say that it's taken the concept essentially of CoreOS, which is the AV switch route, to put it in the simplest of terms, but instead of completely changing the distribution method, which is, you know, this is now a, a flat binary image of the OS, which you update as one, you've integrated it in the tools that already exist, i.e. the package management, as opposed to replacing the package management with something else. Yeah, pretty good way of putting it. Um, I mean, yeah, the another way of looking at it would be how on a standard SUSE or OpenSUSE installation, um, you know, we're doing snapshots sort of before and after you do anything with our package manager. Um, so you've already got that kind of constant rollback. And all we've, the biggest thing we've flipped with Cubic is instead of uh, touching the system that's currently being used, we don't do any of that and effectively redirect the package manager's operations into a snapshot. So, and that then becomes our AB switch. So we're never touching the system currently running, but we can always discard the snapshot that doesn't work. And from the user's perspective, that's going to help in the case of things like uh, RPM post installs where systemd and dbus would have to be restarted and things are using old libraries and stuff, right? Exactly. Now, you mentioned BTRFS or BTRFS or ButterFS, whatever you want to call it. ButterFS, yeah. Now, it seems to me that that is kind of, I don't know, building it on sand, maybe? Because <laughs> BTRFS has been a bit ropey hasn't it i mean it's it doesn't seem finished i mean the raid stuff for example is they they came out and said oh yeah don't use that stuff and it that undermined any confidence that i had in it so i mean why that and not well i mean i suppose the answer is obvious with zfs but i mean surely there are alternatives that are more finished well when it comes to btrfs i mean you've got to take into account the, the context from where we're coming from from SUSE and open SUSE. i mean it's been the default for root file system in open SUSE now for four or five years and it's the default in SUSE linux enterprise as their root file system since c12 came out three years ago now um so there's all their enterprise customers running it they don't think it's unfinished um in terms of certain features like raid 5 yeah that doesn't work or didn't work. It's, it's getting much better now. Um, but we've had feature flags in, in Slee, for example, for disabling features, which weren't ready. So no one was ever at risk of that. And as for a file system used the way that we use it, um, it, it's perfectly stable. I mean, I'm, I'm BTRFS all the way, everywhere, everything. Um, heck, even my router's running ButterFS now. <laughs> and ZFS is just not. As far as OpenSUSE are concerned, um, has a compatible license like Ubuntu think. Uh, yeah, the, the, I mean, we're, you know, we're GPL compliant. And when it comes to our lawyers and also very specifically our kernel developers, um, you know, that they definitely see putting a, a non GPL licensed module in your default install as part of your kernel packaging, um, you know, not compliant with the, word or the spirit of the gpl um so we we you know even if we legally could get away with it we would just be shooting ourselves in the foot by annoying our direct kernel developers and also the wider kernel community so with using butterfs i mean technically you could use alternatives i guess with your system uh because you're using snapper underneath right 
we usually snap. So you'd be able to use uh, LDM fin snapshots or XFS snapshots as well, I imagine. But using ButterFS as the default, I mean, you you do have the benefits added of, you know, you have this magic AB switch that's, you know, once you reboot into it, boom, your system's there and it can keep updating until you've done that. What about the performance implications of using ButterFS? Given that you're focusing on container workloads where the startup time effectively of a container would be a key key performance indicator. Yeah, true. Um, well, the, I mean, the, the simple fact is, you know, ButterFS, while it has all this wonderful extra functionality, um, for many workloads isn't as fast as, for example, XFS. Um, which is why, you know, the default root file system for OpenSUSE and for SLEE is both BTRFS and the default data file system for both is XFS. Um, and I believe that's true in, in Cubic as well. Um, I don't think there's been anything different there. So, you know, running your operating system on ButterFS to get all that extra functionality with snapshots, et cetera, and then having a data partition as XFS where you just care about the performance. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a good response. <laughs> so can we talk about new packaging formats? Because that also came up, didn't it? Flatpak and Snaps. Yeah, Flatpak and Snaps. Yeah, I mean, that, that was that was a really nice surprise to see both some of the, the upstream Flatpak contributors and some of the upstream Garnacle, uh, uh Snap contributors turning up at our conference and with presentations. And Well, it's a topic that, that I've publicly been very, very concerned about. Um, yeah, well, I was going to I was going to get to that. Distribute or die, I think, was the uh, <laughs> title of your uh, talk, wasn't it? Uh, distribute or die was my my talk, my topic of my talk last year at OpenSUSE. Um, and yeah, it's it's a recurring theme for me. At, at FastM, actually, I was I was more refer, uh, talking about resurrecting dinosaurs because I, I I see and I still see many of of these tools as effectively a Linux re-implementation of what Windows did um, sort of well, circa 98 and 2000, um, especially when it came to the DLL isolation in Windows 2000, which is basically exactly what we're doing here with you know namespacing and cgrouping, etc. It, it's the same thing done in a different way. Yeah, not to mention the fact that you are enabling people to go off and download random, effectively, binaries and run them on their system rather than sticking to uh, the repository method that we've been using for 20-odd years. Exactly. Um, and, and so, you know, as a distro guy, of course, I'm going to have concerns with something like that. You know, the main ones, you know, the, the technical ones, you know, you can really get in the weeds with that. And, and ultimately, being in free software, being in open source, there's always going to be an answer for the, the actual technical problems. You know, someone's going to come up with some solution, be that, you know, throwing app armor at the problem or doing what the lab pack is doing with runtimes or, or whatever. The technical part never concerned me that much. The part that, that that worries me and still worries me somewhat is the sort of more human factors of okay, how are people actually going to maintain this? How is it going to you know be maintainable in the long term? Who's going to be patching and maintaining these containers? Who's going to be making sure they're legally compliant and you know they actually you know contain everything of the right licenses in there? You know who's going to be making sure that the security updates in there get fixed quickly and how do you avoid the problems like in Windows where, you know, you end up with 20 different updating apps for your 20 different things that you got from 20 different places and all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it was really nice at the conference to have have a, a, a bunch of conversations with, you know, let's say, these app armor and uh, sorry, app image and 
snap guys and um and then actually in the case of the the app image stuff uh they were also announcing the fact that you can now build app images in the open obs build service so uh, that immediately got you excited then <laughs> that immediately got me excited because it like solves like 75 percent of all that stuff i was just talking about that really worries me because it's like that's easy then like okay who's taking care of all that security stuff well open SUSE or district of your choice, whatever we've got in the build service, you know, you're, you're basically inheriting from the distributions who are doing this work. A lot of that packaging, you know, packaging manhandling, the integration manhandling, the security manhandling, all that stuff, the legal stuff, all the, you know, lawyers reviewing it, all that kind of jazz. So the burden on the app developer who just wants to get his thing in this container and pushed out to users suddenly becomes way less. And suddenly, therefore, I have a lot less to worry about. Yeah, it sounds like you're basically saying you don't feel that comfortable with the idea of the maintainer disappearing, that the maintainer has an important role, and it shouldn't just necessarily be straight from the developer to the user. There should be this middleman, the maintainer, to look after all the stuff you mentioned. Totally. I mean, and it's not just to think of a case of, you know, uh, you know, arrogance from where we currently are we see real problems out there from from our upstreams all the time um I, I don't want to name and shame who this is but actually just before the conference a very prominent upstream um who did a very major uh, release and it was actually open source that using our legal auditing tools and our vetting that we do as part of putting anything into tumbleweed realized that this upstream had actually given us tarballs that contained files that didn't comply with their own license in their own tarball. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, we can't ship that. You know, you're, you're stating one thing and then you're stating something else elsewhere in the file. It's like, ah. I mean, the middleman is very, very important. I think we all agree on that. But the... The thing that, I mean, we're both distro people, right? This is effectively at this point in our blood. Now, we both know that app image doesn't solve the final problem, which is ABI, right? And for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's the application binary interface. That's what things link against. Those are those other libraries. Now, if we look at the, the elephants in the room for things that the biggest examples you can think, not the stuff that's open source and let's just package it up because, oh, isn't that cool? Like LibreOffice, we all have these things in our repos. They don't need to be flat-packed and app-imaged and all this stuff. For most people, it's not really... The, the real pro problem isn't so much about containerization. That's a nice thing and almost mandatory because you're... You're distributing arbitrary files and recreating the Windows days of long lost where you just download files from the internet and just run them on your computer from anyone. So you kind of need containerization. On the ABI front for things like Steam and Chrome, AppImage is never going to work there because it still relies on some host libraries. So it doesn't solve the, the portability factor of those things. So... In the long run, I think we both know that app image is nice, but doesn't tick all the boxes. That kind of leaves Flatpak and Snap. Snap relies on the Ubuntu libraries, and I'm sure you don't want to have to worry about another distro's libraries being used in your user software. So then that comes down to Flatpak as probably being one of the nicer alternatives. But again, you know that that effectively has a mini distro that isn't part of OpenSUSE. You've got this Yocto-based hybrid thing, which may have these other runtimes in there. 
How does that factor into your views on the effectively the portable apps argument? And what was it that actually turned you around to, with all those things considered, what turned you around to effectively accepting those? I, I, just to get things clear, I don't fully accept them. This problem that you're stating is one of the remaining problems, which is still a concern to me. Um, and, and, and a big one. And we've got to find a solution for it. And it was one of the most, it was one of the big sort of highlights for me from the conference actually was, was, you know, at one point you ended up with me sitting at a table, uh, yeah, app image guy, snappy guy. And the debate lasted three hours. At one point I went off, got wow. a beer, came back again, and they were still at it as well. Um, and, and most of it was around this ABI issue because, you know, like you said, you know, the snap model is, ah, just put everything, currently the snap model is put everything in Ubuntu uh, mm. snaps. Um, they are talking about actually having support for different distros. That solves part of the problem. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I don't like it in the same way that I don't like the flat pack solution either because the the flat pack runtime model doesn't really solve that it, it, when you first look at it on the surface you do and then you realize it, it the runtime approach in flat pack still has the same well has either the same fundamental problem of at some point you still have abi you still make assumptions about what's below this line or the kernel features right well that's the thing is the case of flat pack where you draw that line isn't defined um, the standard GNOME runtime, like the one I think you're referring to, yeah, you're kind of drawing it at the kind of kernel and glibc and making assumptions mm. about that. Um, they also have the free desktop.org runtime or the FDO runtime, where it, it's not just a little lightweight Yocto-based thing. It's an entire blumming Yocto distribution in there with everything. With Mazer and GStreamer and GVLND. And <laughs> exactly. And it's like, at that point, okay, you're just assuming the kernel, but let's just take that as an approach. And let's just say you just assume the kernel. Um, and, and nothing else. Even that, between all us distros, we screw that up and do our kernels in different ways. <laughs> um, you know, you can't, and this is like what we see with Steam. Like the, the Steam, the way Steam upstream deliver their stuff, I mean, they pretty much just assume, you know, they're, they're, they're not quite containerized in one of these frameworks, but they're, they're following the same approach and they pretty much just assume it's going to be, you know, the kernel and glibc. And then, yeah, we pump out a new glibc version and all our Steam users break on Tumbleweed. Or libc++. <laughs> or libc++ or whatever. Yeah, it, it's uh, that that problem is going to exist fundamentally with these tools. And I, I don't think there is a technical answer to it. The technical answer just move the scope of the problem up and down the stack. It, yeah. They don't solve it. Um, I, I think really the only way of solving it is actually going to be through collaboration. And, and the, the, the more I talked about it at the, uh, the conference, the more I talk about it now. I've also talked about it at FOSTEM this year. I think the distributions and the people involved in these containerized application frameworks need to get around a table. We need to talk about this stuff and need to kind of come up with some common agreements of, okay, where the heck is this ABI line and how do we handle that? You know, can we get the distributions doing some sane stuff together on that one? Well, I mean, that's kind of the thing because we've had, we've had these efforts in the past, like LSB base. I mean, it's a joke. We know it's a joke. We've, <laughs> um, FHS. Nobody even complies with FHS anymore. We sort of do. Then we added run directory and it all went to shit. <laughs> we stopped complying <laughs> these things. If all the distributions, like you say, we got around a table and say, you know what? In each of these major categories, like 
DL Motomedia Toolkit File System Kernel Features. This is the commonality we'll provide, and this is the base you can expect and define a version standard. So this distribution complies to blah, blah, blah. This application requires such and such a version of that specification. You know, like the, the Linux common standard or whatever you want to call it, version one, version two, that's what you'd be compliant with. Then, because the ABI problem is never going to be solved by these tools. I think everybody knows that. But isn't the solution to standardize on something like, for example, Snap? I know that Shuttleworth is very keen for everyone to standardize on that. I mean, it seems a bit strange that they're so keen to push the Ubuntu runtime on everyone, but I suppose that kind of makes sense. But for example, when they had that get together, it must have been about 18 months ago, maybe. Were, were you invited to that, Richard? I was actually, yeah. Um, I, I didn't go in the end. Um, well, I think one of the OBS guys went. Um, and we have actually some functionality in the build service that, that's kind of trying to catch up with or, uh, or come alongside what we're now doing with app image the problem with the the that snap approach is well it's a question of of who's distributing to me that that's my, the the biggest problem i have with it um and and paradoxically i had less of a problem when it was just the concept of just ubuntu just shipping just their stuff because in that case everything's Ubuntu's problem. Everything's Canonical's problem. They're, they're the distributor, and we as the distros just have to find some way of running their runtime on our, our stuff. Now they're diversifying the ecosystem in terms of, of you know dealing with people's feedback. So you know anybody can run a Snap store. Anybody, you know, talking about having different core Snaps from just the Ubuntu ones. That makes everything more complicated. You know, what if, for example, the open build service starts having effectively a snap store in there we're then responsible for all of the snaps we distribute there how do we make sure then for example if you have an ubuntu uh, a, a snap that we've built based on an ubuntu snap that w are we also going to distribute that ubuntu core snap are we then potentially having problems when canonical put something in there which we typically wouldn't <laughs> zfs <clears throat> zfs is an example yes um, you know all, all of that stuff starts getting into really funky gray area places and uh, th this is sort of i guess a, a side com part of, of that conversation that the other distros can possibly have of you know where is this line of responsibility also because you know in the in the current distro world it, it's pretty darn clear you know the distributor is the person who gave you the media or the hoster of the actual repository so is it safe to say that we now live in the age of the rise of the meta distribution <laughs> i think it's possible i think that's one one way of looking at it i mean i also well, I do now start seeing the appeal of some of these technologies, but I can see like use cases with the, the app image and flatback and snap stuff, um, that, that really excite me for, for example, for OpenSUSE leap users. At the same time, I look at what OpenSUSE is doing in Tumbleweed and just go, what's the point? <laughs> Cause when I, when we can ship the new kernel and everything so blooming fast that most of our upstreams can't do it themselves that quickly, then you know, do you need to have all these containerized tools so the developers can ship stuff themselves? Controversial point here, and I'm biased the same way you are, right? We we do rolling. You do proper rolling, I do 
rolling ish. <laughs> right, to be fair, yeah, staggered you, rolling. You do full steam rolling. Yeah, yours right? is more staggering, isn't it? It's like yeah. you just chuck them out um, every now and then. Right. Whereas tumbleweed, you know, it's it's going, it's going, it's going, it's going. I'm sitting there smoking a pipe, and you've already run. Right. Would you say that the the problem of these applications, like? If you look back to when Snap started, it was all about it's so hard to do a Debian package. And that was the fundamentals of how this all started with Snap. It's so hard to do a Debian package. Let's make that easier. Which isn't a problem when you've got good tooling around it. I mean, you have all like the automated scripting and the, the Git stuff and the open build service. So the, the cost of packaging is mitigated for OpenSUSE as far as I can see. So that's not a factor in it. You're also able to determine your own policies and decide when things get updated. If you say, we're going to update this application to the new version, it's been tested, out it goes. Would you say then that snaps and flat packs really aren't about the portability? It's more addressing limitations in legacy traditional distributions. Yes, I, I think there's there's definitely a, a strong part in that. I mean, I at first time I had a chat with the, another one of the, the Snap guys who was there, and you know that that was basically his point. He was saying, you know, we're doing this because packaging doesn't scale, and I was like, what do you mean packaging doesn't scale? Like, well, it's like <laughs> it it's like yeah, it's like you know, Ubuntu has like four people who can check in something into the base, and that doesn't scale. It's like you've got four people like. We've got we've got we've got fourteen for tumbleweed and like twice as many for leap, and that's just with direct checking access. Of course, behind them there's like four hundred people. Um, yeah, it, it's the with good tooling with good processes, that whole argument just just doesn't hold water. And and it it was like at that point I felt one of us was an alien and I wasn't quite sure which one was on the wrong planet. <laughs> So if you had to put your money, if I was to say to you, let's make a bet, right? Let's say a year from now, and we'll call it something silly like a drink, right? Out of App Image, Flatpak, and Snap, who's going to, quote, win? And I don't mean win in a technological sense, like Flatpak is going for technological superiority. I mean in the Betamax versus VHS sense. Who is going to be VHS here? That's a that's a tough one to call, actually. Um. I mean, obviously, you know, Canonical have an advantage because, you know, Canonical marketing. I mean, you know, power. Yeah, you know, that 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 pushes things, you know, in a in a in a way that, you know, even if it is technically currently inferior, it won't work. But at the same time, I mean, one of the big takeaways for me I neglected to mention for the OpenSUSE conference though was seeing how much those Canonical guys have changed and are changing, probably because of what's going on inside their company, like. For example, app armor. Like the big Achilles heel in the current snap scenario is you have to have canonical only app armor patches to do the encapsulation. So even though OpenSUSE is all app armor, we do all this stuff, we can't do any of that encapsulation for the security of snap. So not universal then? Not universal. So the portability is bullshit at this point. Um, but now, Maybe, hopefully, partially because of how much I was ranting about it while I was on stage at OSC. Um, you know, Canonical now have an upstream first policy for their app armor patches, and it's all looking really positive. And you know, okay, it might be a couple of kernel versions away, but you know that that makes me hopeful for the future. And if that if they follow through with that, plus their marketing prowess, I mean, yeah, they they've got an advantage there. 
Um, but you've still got the ecosystem problems and, and, you know, there, there's forgetting about the technical stuff a bit and thinking about sort of personalities and people and, and approach like that. You know, the app image guys are years ahead of Canonical in that sense, in terms of just knowing how to reach out to other communities, how to reach out to other developers. You know, obviously, heck, they've got Linux behind them, but he uses it for subsurface. Um, that kind of soft power side of things is, is something that, that AppImage really, really has behind it. Um, and given that their tooling is a little bit more do as it as you wish, don't have to necessarily impose the snap way of doing things. You know, you can put whatever you want in that app image, just, you know, case of how do you make that easier, which in case for us, make it easy with OBS. I can see that definitely having a, an appeal that will be hard to, hard to shake. So. If you rolled this all up into one thing, and I'm not necessarily attributing all these words to you, but thinking in my own head how you'd roll all these things together, it seems then that this whole thing about app image and flat pack and snaps and which one is better and that, none of that matters, really. <laughs> it's about can the users get their software? And if it's something where the distribution has their back up against the wall, like Steam, you know, any one of these examples, then if they really care about it, they'll improve the tooling and processes to make it work anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it's like you've just summed up the last couple of years of OpenSUSE. I mean, that's how we ended up with Tumbleweed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough. Well, that seems a, a good a point as any to end. We could talk to you for a lot longer, Richard, but um, yeah, it's been great to have you on again. And uh, no doubt uh, we'll speak to you again at some point. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for that. I guess that was a good, uh, a good technical discussion there. It was nice to um, hear some of the differences between what uh, Fedora are doing and what OpenSUSE are doing with their container OS, um, and also how all these things are coming together, like the Open Build service, the fact that they're able to, um, you know, co constantly roll it out rather than having to do the stop-start thing, like you've got IKEA, or or maybe you know the differences between that and the way that Flatpak and things are, are done on the back end. So. Uh, always interesting to hear some of these developers come on, and especially now that we've you know had them on a couple of times, we can see the progression of Open Suzy. One thing we did talk to him about afterwards was the pronunciation of Open Suza. <laughs> and how are you supposed to say Open Suzy? Suza. Oh, there's okay. no I in it. Yeah, <laughs> there's no A in it either. Yeah, uh, that's true. Too yeah, <laughs> it was good to have Richard on. And um, yeah, obviously, it was only just me and Ike. And I, I let you two just get into the weeds, really, because I was just sitting there fascinated. It was a little bit beyond my pay grade, as it were. But I think that it's it's good to have that platform to to have that really in-depth discussion, because people hear a lot about Flatpak and Snap and AppImage and stuff. But to actually hear some of the technical reasons why people should be using it or what needs to be improved, I think is important. Yeah, I, I still don't like containers, but I see he didn't like them for the same kind of reason as well anyway. So I'll be interested to see if they're able to manage the updates the way they think they will and see if they'll be able to keep the data secure out. Because I just still get this feeling that it's going to be a a blob that gets left out there and you know, you're sitting there and you're, you have no way to properly update it, well, easily anyway. Um in the open build service we trust. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, uh, with that then, I suppose we better wrap it up. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. 
with our Foss Talk Live episode I have learned during the recording of this. Um, but uh, until then, uh, I've been Joe. I've been Jesse. I've been Phelan. I'm becoming Ike. <laughs> oh, <hey. laughs> See you later. <laughs> See ya.